All right, so this week, or not really this week, but today, right now, we're going to uh, post our interview we did recently with a District 12 City Council uh, candidate for the Green Party, um, Franca Mueller Paz. Yeah. That was such a good contribution, buddy. Um, What'd you think? It was fun, right? Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I really hope yeah, she wins. She's she's fantastic. I wish I wish I lived in Baltimore just so I could vote for her. Yeah, um, you guys are gonna enjoy it. She fucking rocks. Um, if you're District 12, fucking vote for her. Um, you know, please. She's gonna. Sounds like sounds like sounds like we live in the Hunger Games. <laughs> if you're in District 12, I don't get that reference because I've never seen it. I only watch good cinema. They all live in districts. It's like District 1 to 12. Whatever. District 12 is like the poorest. Whatever you say. I don't care. Okay. We're the Bolsheviks. Podcast makes me realize how much I don't fucking know. Talking about how he's going to put a boot in your ass because it's the American way. That was fun. That was tight. I will. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm in this, man. I'm in it to win. Historical trolling is the funniest shit. Ah! All right, we're done. I'm ending it. I'm ending it. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. All right, so today we have a very, very, very special guest. Um, will you please, special guest, introduce yourself and tell everyone why it is we're interviewing you today? Sure. Well, my name is Franca mueller Foss. I'm a teacher in Baltimore City Schools. I've been teaching for 10 years, and I teach right now at Baltimore City College. And I am also running for Baltimore City Council in the 12th District as a Green Party candidate. So my first question, I have so many questions just off the bat. First of all, what do you do in City Council? Like, So a typical City Council person, a big part of the responsibility is constituent services. So it's about making sure that uh, the trash is getting picked up. The potholes are getting filled. Um, issues with like trash on the street in general. It's about really making sure like like the details of what's happening in your district are working and are being responsive. Uh, and another big part is about legislating issues that can affect issues that are citywide. Right. So that can be things like uh, what is happening with our budget. It can be around issues of the minimum wage. Uh, different things like that. So there is this sort of really nuanced work about what's happening literally block to block within your district. And then you're also helping to make these decisions that have a much greater impact across the city. So that's interesting because uh, so let's say the state issues a minimum wage um, and then the city decides they want to go further up. Um, Then they have the power to do that. They can set their own Okay, interesting. Yeah, and that's actually what's happened recently, right? So a few years ago, uh, we had the opportunity to raise our minimum wage, and this was something that was being contested in the city council. We actually had overwhelming support from the city council to increase by 2022 uh, the pay to $15 an hour. But unfortunately, uh, Catherine Pugh, the mayor at the time, vetoed that bill and then uh, actually the sitting council person that's in this district decided to not do a supportive veto override. So part of the reason that we don't have a $15 minimum wage by 2022 in the city is because um, of lack of support from the current incumbent. 
And now we have to wait for the state's bill, which won't fully kick in until 2026 and really kind of left tipped workers out to dry, excludes young people, uh, you know, all kinds of issues and problems. But we do have the power uh, to make it happen our own, on our, you know, uh, from within the council if we if we can champion it again. Now, it's pretty incredible that she decided to uh, veto that. Like, I, I feel like in a city like Baltimore, that's that that would be, you know, that's just such a popular item for us to get through. And I think I read that you wanted you wanted to go further than that. You wanted to go $15 and then up it with uh, the inflation rate, right, as the inflation goes up? Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, we don't we shouldn't be having to fight this fight every few years. Uh, we know inflation is going to happen, um, tie the increase to inflation so that you know that the price is going to increase. Because, like I said, you know, $15, even right now, you think about how far that gets you. Uh, we're not going to really get it until 2022, you know, if that was uh, the proposed legislation at the time. Uh, and now we're looking at something that's 2026. We have to have a plan that's continuously uh, increasing that wage to make sure that we're actually keeping up with what the cost of living is um, in our city. Do we know why she vetoed it? And then we can move on. I'm sorry. I would say that there's too much influence of developers in our and corporations within City Hall. Uh, they pump tons of money into, you know, not just the mayor races, uh, but also races across the city council. And so when we have folks that are signing bills that are benefiting uh, corporations and developers that oftentimes don't even live in Baltimore City, maybe don't even live in Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, and not actually supporting the working people and families that are here with us in Baltimore, you know, that to me is a, uh, is a big guilty cor- you know, culprit. Well, one more thing. I'm sorry. Uh, so Robert Stokes, do you know if he's uh, had a part in that at all? Like getting money from those developers and, you know, the reason why he vetoed it? I mean, that's insane to me. Yeah, I believe he's received money from Atlas Group, which is the same uh, organization or the same restaurant group that denied service to a a young black child over the summer. Uh, They give tons of money everywhere. They dumped $30,000 into the first district council race uh, during this primary season. Uh, He also takes money from the FOP, so the Union of Police. So certainly uh, some... uh, uh, yeah, definitely taking money. From <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to say it, I'll say it. The best. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 funded by pieces of shit. Um, so did you know that the Atlas people, their dad, their parents are the Sinclair Media people? Yes, yes, that family has much, way too much power. But yes, yeah, Sinclair Broadcasting's all mm-hmm. tied up in that. Um, all kinds of real estate issues, you know, uh, and then yeah, Alex Smith and you know his. Uh, you know, leadership with uh, the Atlas restaurants and how he treats his workers. Oh, um, it's, it's abhorrent. They're a terrible, awful. terrible. Yeah, we, you know, I, I talked to a, a lot of the, the workers that work within those restaurants and they talk about how, you know, this incident happened and uh, over the summer uh, saying that, you know, and uh, Smith had promised that there would be all kinds of different trainings and things like that. A lot of these things didn't happen. Uh, also, people who have been trying to report issues having to do around racial discrimination, and instead of dealing with the discrimination, people get fired. You know, so 
uh, yeah, definitely not the kind of person I would be taking money from in a campaign. <laughs> oh God, no. And that's what our, and our campaign does not take any money from any developers. We don't take money from corporations. Uh, we are completely funded by, you know, the people. Well, uh, you, you are funded a little bit by unions, though, right? They gave you a little bit of money. Yeah, we actually just received, uh, yeah, we received uh, union support from the Carpenters. We've also received support from the Green Party. Uh, so, yeah, that as well. But I would still consider them from the people, so. No, they are the people. It's they're not, not corporations. Yeah, no, they're, right. you're you're cool. <laughs> that wasn't yeah, like us trying to. Yeah, to union causes, so, yeah. Yeah. Happy to stay on the picket line. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's awesome that we have like a potential like union, you know, person that will be representing our district as opposed to someone who's in the pocket of these big developers and corporations, like because they're yeah. obviously not doing anything for us, you know. Yeah, and actually, I'm a, I'm a, the union representative for my school, so I've been elected to represent uh, and be the building representative for my school for the last three terms and um, fight for their issues both, you know, within the school building, but at North Avenue at Annapolis. Uh, as part of our leadership infrastructure within the Baltimore Teachers Union. How long is a term for? Oh, it's a year. Oh, it's just a year. Oh, okay. No, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, it said on your website that a lot of the the stuff that you're doing is done through local organizing as well as like uh, students as well. So can you sort of go yeah. into like how much involvement like the student community has with your campaign and stuff? Yeah. Well, actually, it's three. The uh, campaign managers of our campaign are uh, students that I've organized with in the past. Uh, So uh, one is one of the founders of SOMOS, which is Students Organizing a Multicultural Open Society. Uh, They established themselves in 2014. Uh, they started in uh, in my meeting in my classroom and uh, trying to fight for issues uh, that were impacting students between whether it was school funding, uh, equal opportunity for students to be able to access all the different schools that we have in our city. So uh, she is uh, one of the campaign managers, also a student from Baltimore Algebra Project, a huge organizer there. Another student from the Baltimore English Spanish Intercambio were students uh, they basically run a nonprofit in which totally led by students, students teach English to our Spanish speaking community, the Spanish speaking community teaches Spanish back to our students and they engage in this exchange that's been going on since 2016. So uh, really amazing youth leaders. Uh, we also have some great leaders from the youth, um, from Good Kids Mad City, uh, of organizers from uh, that uh, back in back in City College were part of something called uh, City Block, which was affiliated a little bit with Be More Block. So, you know, uh, yeah, just really incredible youth organizers, uh, organizers that you know have some experience also working with organizing Black. So. Uh, I think it's really important to have young people in the campaign. It's really excited to really have them, uh, you know, being out here, knocking on doors with us, making important decisions about how the campaign is run. I think it keeps us honest. I think it keeps the urgency high. Um, That's something that has always been really impressive to me about working with youth organizers is just that the urgency is now, right? Like they know what the stakes are, that if we don't solve these issues, 
uh, immediately, you know, every day that passes is putting the lives of young people into jeopardy. And so um, I, I've been really, you know, honored to be able to support uh, some of the leadership development of these young people uh, when they were in high school. Some of them are in college now, some of them have just graduated. Uh, so it's really exciting to kind of see them on their path, but that's that's been a big part of the work and um, happy to have them, you know, be a part of the campaign now. I think that that really like says a lot to your campaign and what you're trying to get done. So if you look at your opponent, who seems to be more of like the corporate interest, like old money, old Democrat Baltimore, you know, style of governing. And then we have you who is representing this like vast swath of people and younger people and progressive people, obviously, since you're running on the Green Party. So I think that like your campaign and like what you're trying to do is like a really nice like microcosm of what we're seeing across the country where we have the new guard coming in and trying to, you know, set right what the old guard has sort of been running amok for for years and years and generations. So it's it's really cool that this is happening in Baltimore and in such like a really like for the city, like a pretty important district. Like, could you sort of like explain geographically, like the area that you'll be representing when you get elected? Yeah. The 12th district is the heart of Baltimore. It's in the center of the city. And so uh, to give a little some folks some parameters, uh, you know, it starts from, you know, our city, just above our city is Little Italy. So captures uh, Perkins Homes, Douglas Homes, Latrobe, uh, the uh, area kind of right around Dunbar and Naff. Uh, it sort of has 83 as a western boundary with some exceptions, uh, and then more or less Broadway as a eastern boundary, again with some exceptions, and it heads all the way up, uh, grabs Greenmount Cemetery, uh, the area around North Avenue, and that you know whole arts district, and then shoots all the way up to, you know, depending on where you're at, uh, 27th, 28th, 29th, or 30th Street. Uh, but it's and it you know it's the center of the city and and I think you know I was talking to a teacher who lives in Greenmount West and they teach at Dunbar. This is a nine minute car ride. Uh, they have to take three buses to get to their school. And you know I just think that if things aren't working in the heart of the city in the center where everything is going on, you know, that is a very serious uh, canary in the coal mine for what's happening around the rest of the city. Mm -hmm. So if we can't get transportation working here, if we're not getting services uh, being really handled and addressing the issues uh, that constituents are dealing with here in the center of the city, you know, we have a lot to be worried about uh, what's going on across Baltimore. So, you know, we really need to, we need to get things right and, and make sure that we're, we're addressing the needs that people have. And I just want to thank you for the comment about, you know, the role of young people and the organizing that's going on. You know, I, something I say to them a lot is, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what's been handed to you. And, you know, thank God that we have you, like you, you guys, they're incredible, incredible organizers. Um, and something that they say all the time is that, you know, people are always saying, oh, you know, the young people, they're our future. Um, but that's waiting too long. Like they're our present. They, they are mobilizing and doing the work now. You know, Somos, for example, just organized a national press conference. Uh, they've been working with city council people from Philly city council people from Detroit, our own city council, uh, bringing in uh, folks from uh, the school board in Denver, bringing in 
folks from Baton Rouge, bringing in folks from uh, San Jose and Chicago. You know, this is the work of teenagers here in the city saying that, you know, we're not going to wait any longer to make sure that this, you know, multinational, multi-billion corporation is just going to allow all these families to be denied the internet speeds that they need in the middle of a global pandemic. And, yeah. and they really push, you know, uh, the gas on the engine to make stuff happen. So I think, you know, young people, they have so much energy. Um, they really feel what's happening in their communities and they're not, they're not willing to wait. They don't have that kind of patience. They want to get this stuff done now. And, and that's what we need. I think we have a lot of people who have been office for a long time who have grown complacent with the idea that uh, positive change and progress has to take forever and it doesn't it just you need to make it a priority um and so you know that's as relevant as it is for the center of the city and district 12 as it is for the rest of baltimore maryland and across the country but i think that's the kind of mentality we need to be bringing to organizing work like we um you know we're tired tired and I, I i mean your campaign seems to do be doing an amazing job i mean to to do a contrast just real quick of like uh just if you do a contrast between your Twitter followers and then Robert Stokes Twitter followers, Robert Stokes only has 121 Twitter followers. Yeah, don't you, you blow have... his ass out of the fucking water? <laughs> yes. Uh it's uh sh- you have I believe um you know close to 3000, so um yeah. I mean that just shows that he's not doing anything to like reach out to, you know, younger people or doing anything for his community even, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. And and I think, you know, it's also a lot of people sometimes say, oh, you know, someone can have a lot of attention or whatever on social media. Does that really translate to the ground? And I think it's about what you do with it. Right. So one of the things that we do is that we're always looking for folks um, trying to see, you know, do you live in District 12? You don't. That's OK. Can you volunteer with the campaign? Can you donate to the campaign? Uh, you you live in Baltimore. Awesome. Can you drop literature with us? Can you come to our events? You live outside. You live in the county. Can you do a phone bank? Can you do a text bank? You know, there's a lot of ways to make sure that you can engage people about what's going on. Uh, and you have to meet people where they're at, you know, and, I, and for a lot of folks, the organizing community organizing is happening. It's happening on Facebook and it's happening on Twitter and it's happening on Instagram. I think, you know, that's one place uh, it's important for us to, you know, what we're doing right now. We have three um, teams that are in the southern part of the district, the eastern part of the district, the western part of the district. We're out there seven days a week, making sure that we're talking to people on the doors too. Uh, we're reaching out to people through texting, making sure they understand what's going on with this, you know, crazy situation <laughs> that is going to be the 2020 election between mm. the absentee ballots and so many voting centers being closed, which is going to be massive voter uh, disenfranchisement. And so, you got to meet people where they're at. And part of what that is, is, you know, in addition to being in person, um, is online. And I also want to say, you know, that like we're on the ground and, and we don't see a whole lot of presence on the ground either. You know, we don't really see yard signs or, you know, literature, things like that. So, you know, but for your, for your opponent, right. For your opponent, right. Cause I see your signs everywhere. They- yeah. Yeah. My opponent. Yeah. I don't, I don't really see much presence on, online on the ground uh and so uh that's a that's a decision that they've decided to make but you know people want to hear from their council people 
you know, people are frustrated already that often they don't hear from politicians except around campaign time. That's a whole nother thing if you don't even hear about the men. So. Yeah. Um, so I have a question that kind of relates to that a little bit. Um, so um, like you've earned the endorsement of Metro Baltimore Council, the um, AFL um, CIO unions. Um, why do you think that for the first time in their history, they decided to take a chance on a third party candidate? And is it um, uh, is it the start of more labor unions jumping the ship on Democrats? Yeah, well, you know, it was super exciting. They represent over one hundred and fifty thousand workers in the metro Baltimore area. So uh, we were incredibly excited. And, and again, I think it's you know, it's about showing up for labor. Uh, one. I'm a union representative, have been for my school. Uh, I've been organizing for a long time. Actually, I uh, briefly taught in Philadelphia while I was getting my uh, master's degree and I worked to try to unionize my charter school then. That was in my second year of teaching. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's always been about showing up. It's about showing up for the $15 minimum wage. It's around making sure that our workers are getting, you know, retained and aren't being laid off during COVID. You know, we went out to Alexandria to support airport workers um, just, you know, uh, I guess a month ago because there were huge issues that were going on with folks getting uh, infected with COVID and not getting the support they needed, not getting the mandatory, um, all the, the deserved uh, workers time off that, that they need and having sick leave, you know? So I think the, the decision by the union was to support one of their fellow union brothers and sisters. And I really respect that they did that. And I want to say it was really tough to get that endorsement. There are like three hurdles you have to go through, right? First is their electoral committee. You need two thirds of support there. Then you need two thirds support in their executive committee, which is, you know, the representation of the unions. And then it goes to the floor with the general membership and you need two thirds again. And there's been some great candidates who have had the majority and haven't been able to get that endorsement because you need, you know, you need more than just a simple majority, you need two thirds. And we actually walked out of the AFL CIO, you know, after hitting each of those thresholds and we got through with 85% of the floor vote. Wow. Um, it That's was awesome. amazing. Yeah, like it, it was a huge threat, like high um, accomplishment for us. So really, really excited. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's about, uh, uh, unfortunately, the incumbent does not have a history of vote and supporting labor uh, between the fight for 15. He also didn't support a worker retention bill, which, you know, it's something that happens in the city a lot. Uh, we have places like Hopkins and the stadiums where they'll change over who is handling their contracts for basically the same work. And when that happens, mass firings take off, take off, right? They are laying off people who are senior. They see it as an opportunity to cut down the people who are making higher salaries so they can bring in younger people that make less. And so uh, there was this worker retention bill and it was about saying that if you are essentially hiring a contractor to do the same work, you have to keep those uh, workers for a certain number of months before you can start to lay people off. Like you have to really give them a chance to show themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Robert Stokes didn't support that vote either. Uh, wow. And this is, again, you know, these are folks that live in this district that live and work and are trying to raise families in this district. And, you know, it's, these are votes that are not fighting for the well-being of people. And instead it's protecting corporate interests. And, you know, I think that's why it's such a big deal that we shouldn't be allowing uh, people that are running for office to take 
corporate and developer money because it, it at the end of the day it hurts us it hurts the people who live here and work here right. Right? yeah 100 well hopefully like i think i think people are kind of they see that and they're kind of tired of it like of our elected officials being in the pocket of you know of the ruling class. And so now it's, it's sort of time for us to, you know, really organize. And I'm so happy that you're, you're sort of getting so much ground support from normal people, from, from unions and from, you know, from, from teachers and students. Um, but to be honest, the only reason, not the only reason, but, um, a big reason why I was made aware of you is because it obviously it's a voting season and I requested my mail-in ballot and, and, um, I like to kind of try to be informed of all the down ballot stuff because I mean, let's be honest, like for the most part, people only really know like the mayoral stuff and then the big national stuff. But these, these, you know, these smaller things and air quotes, obviously they're very important. Like a lot of times people aren't super informed about like who is running for comptroller or city council. And so when I went on the DSA website to see who they were endorsing, you were the only person the DSA is endorsing for the state of Maryland. And I think that that is a huge accomplishment and it's something that, you know, I, I'm i just really curious how that came about. Like how out of everyone running in the state of Maryland, someone from Baltimore City in our district is the only person who they thought was like, you know, up to the task of, of really representing what the DSA stands for. Yeah, well, you know, it started with our local and I'm actually one of the steering committee members of our local DSA. I'm one of the steering committee uh members for our, or co-chairs for the outreach committee. So, uh, you know, I, I think the DSA and the work that they've been doing, the work around housing justice, around tenant rights, um, has been really incredible. Their support around trying to fight against the incinerator. And so, you know, really excited about the work that DSA is doing. And yeah, and then we, we pitched to national to see if they would support us and went through their process and, yeah, so excited that we got the national endorsement from DSA. That was a that was a huge, huge accomplishment. And I know our local feels super proud. And I'm really excited that they felt that, you know, our campaign honors the kind of work and ethic uh, that this DSA is really bringing to politics. And, and they've had you know, a really exciting year. There were a lot of, you know, DSA members who picked up spots in New York. So uh, I'm excited to, to see them, you know, get into office, you know, post-primary. But I think, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a huge honor to get that support. And not just them, right? Also, uh, Sunrise, Sunrise Movement Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, Our Revolution Maryland, uh, so those have all uh, progressive Maryland as well. We got unanimous support from progressive Maryland. So you got unanimous. So I think That's awesome. This is what we needed to do. Like we need as the left, you know, I think it's really important to uh, meet people where they're at. I, that's just, you know, the, the, the style of organizing that feels important to me, which is that uh, some of us are really ready to, you know, take on the, you know, the label of being a socialist and what that means. And other people really feel that way. They believe in the policies that have to do with socialism, but they're maybe not ready to embrace the word, right? And I would say the same thing happens often when we're having conversations around defund, right? Uh, And abolitionist ideas around policing, which is that, 
you know, if you've really kind of done the work and the research, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, like this makes a lot of sense. This is how we can make our communities safer. Uh, this is how we can, you know, at the end of the day, like even police officers are safer with a lot of the things that we're trying to propose within, uh, you know, defund and abolitionist work, which is around rebuilding uh, those relationships to have a public safety, you know, uh, organization that's actually uh, defending all members of a community and not just the, the property mm-hmm. and lives of a select few. And so, you know, I think uh, being able to build this mass movement where we're bringing in folks like DSA and Sunrise, um, you know, these, you know, the work of these young people, which are, you know, you go to any of these, uh, of their organization, you know, their organizational meetings, or you're hearing their speeches, like they're talking about, you know, the problems with capitalism all the time. Like that's the consciousness that our young people are at for the most part. Uh, But to be able to bring in unions, progressive Maryland, uh, folks who are a little bit more within that mainstream, I think it's really important work for us to do as leftists and as socialists to, you know, help them see, you know, why like we, we have our eyes open to, to this kind of political work uh, and why, you know, these words don't have to be, you know, uh, conversation enders. Yeah. Um, but, we, but we have to take time to build the relationships, um, to do the organizing work, to do the one-on-ones, to really get people there. Um, it's not just going to happen overnight and it's not just going to happen because of hashtag, like it's going to happen because of real people-to-people work. Right. Um, it's unfortunate that those words have so much stigmatism on them because of the past of the, you know, propaganda and stuff like that and attaching them to like, you know, state communist, you know, type of things. Um, but, uh, it's, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, defund because I wanted to ask you this question. So, um, you've expressed the importance of education when it comes to fighting crime systematically, um, in your view, is there any role for traditional law enforcement when it comes to fighting crime? I think there's room for public safety. I think, you know, we live in a society and people are human beings and people are going to make decisions and make mistakes, right? That That is a part of what it means to be in a society. So to some extent, we're going to have to have, you know, some mechanism to maintain uh the safety and, you know, safe spaces within the community. That said, I think the way that we do it has to be radically different. And like I said, you know, I have an abolitionist mentality, which is that, you know, the way policing has been structured uh, uh, has its history based in slave catching. Uh, This is not the kind of legacy that we want to be bringing into how we take care of our neighbors. And I think, you know, the idea has to be around like safety and care and support for our communities, as opposed to the really punitive, um, you know, uh, criminal justice approach that we see right now. So, you know, that falls into a lot of stuff. So one thing is that we have to deal with some basics in our own state. Uh, so like getting rid of Leobor completely in which police have these, you know, uh, rid- ridiculously extra set of rights um, that, mm-hmm. you know, they they should not have. They should be held to a higher standard than regular citizens are not given extra, you know, leeway to be able to um, commit crimes themselves. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot of local work that we need to do. We've got to get local control back. But as far as what is public safety need to look like, I say 
we need to evaluate what are the root causes of what's causing crime and violence in our neighborhoods. And I think a big part of that is dismal wages. People need to make the kind of family sustaining wages that allow them to be able to thrive and that you're not having to make decisions about surviving from one day to the next. Uh, I think it's about, like you said, you know, funding education, making sure that we open back up rec centers, um, that we're giving really students a dignified experience at school uh, where they're getting the skills that they need so that when they, you know, graduate, uh, they really have the opportunities and have learned about themselves, about what matters to them. What are they passionate about so that they can be pursuing those things and actually have a real opportunity to get those things done and that it's not about them having, you know, um, to climb this enormous hill uh, just to be able to live a decent life. Um, so making sure that people have wealth and housing, right? So much redlining that's happened, um, the, the legacy of redlining across our city, and you can superimpose tons of other measures and see the same redlining maps all over again, right? whether it's food access, it's digital access, like these things still have a huge impact. So we need to find ways to bring wealth back into these communities. And that's about encouraging home ownership. It's about encouraging the use of community land trust so that community can be taking over um, the use of land that we have in our neighborhoods and using them for productive means um, that support our neighbors. Uh, it's about doing the things necessary that really show that we center and care about one another as people, as opposed to thinking that we can punish or lock up our way out of problems. Um, locking people up doesn't get rid of your problem in a permanent way. Uh, people go and serve their time and then they come back into the community. Like you have to find a way to restore the folks that are committing the crimes that are in our city because they're going to be back. Um, and we need to welcome them back as community members and give them the opportunity to thrive and not try to put them through this revolving door of a criminal justice system um, that honestly is just perpetuating the destruction of families uh, in the way that, you know, immigrant families are being separated at the border. Our working class black and brown families are being separated by the criminal justice system. And that has huge implications for the social well-being and mental health of our young people. Um, and I think just feeds into cycles of, you know, crime and violence that we see. So until we begin to address those things, uh, we're not going to have um, a reduction in crime. Baltimore is a perfect place to do that, right? Because we have uh, traditionally one of the most corrupt uh, law enforcement agencies uh, in the country. So this would actually be a perfect uh, place to to run that experiment. Uh, so hopefully other people see that. Yeah. And to also say, like, we tried a lot of reforms. You know, Baltimore has tried a lot of well-intentioned reforms uh, and it hasn't worked. And so I think, yeah, the 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 ground is ready, you know, to really try something else. Um, that's about really getting to where are these problems coming from and not just trying to put, you know, uh, band-aids that uh, don't solve the problem and actually continue to ruin people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that it, it's just so refreshing to have someone who is running for, for politics in our area who, who thinks that way and who is sort of like they get it you know what I mean? Not to be like super poetic about it and say you get it, but it's it's just been so frustrating being in Baltimore and we're always just known for crime and corruption 
And it literally is because people like, you know, your opponent are really holding the city back. So it's, it's nice to potentially have someone, well, we will have you in office and then you will be able to get these things done and really set us on a track where we can succeed and, and our communities can succeed and, you know, and we can really build a great city. Cause I mean, our park benches even say we're the greatest city in America and all that. But what are some of the other issues that you think are like not only important, but just things that you really want to tackle during your first term on the city council? Yeah. So something, and just to kind of bookend that statement, there was actually a vote uh, just that just took place this week around moving $2 million from transportation into BPD uh, that the incumbent just supported and it got passed. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, it's insane. Yeah, it really, it's <laughs> just, I mean, I don't want to go on a rant about it, but it's just like, how do you, how do you think that you're like, I don't understand how people can think that that's like a good, a good way to govern a good way to do anything. Like it's so transparently just bad and corrupt and just backwards. And it's just such a money grab. And it, it just blows my mind that yeah. these people can be in office for so long when they just do nothing, but just screw over everyone except for their like country club buddies. Like, well, it has to do with people not really, um, they don't really pay attention to politics that much. And then they, they do subscribe to maybe a party. So, you know, when time comes, like they might not even look people up. They might just go to the poll and just put down, they don't even know who it is. They just put down whoever is the, the Democrat or the Republican that they support, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and it makes the work for us, you know, a little bit harder in that we really do need to talk to every person that is going to support us. Uh, we really do need to say, hey, like you have an option, you know, uh, don't be scared by the G next to the name mm -hmm. um, and make that happen. Uh, but pivoting to your question about, you know, what are one, what's one of the other issues that's really important to me? To me, it's about digital equity. Uh, we have we actually have a huge opportunity in the city, like speak about like how Baltimore could be great. We own the infrastructure for our Internet in Baltimore it's ours. It's publicly owned. That is not the case in many, you know, large cities in the United States. A lot of them are private, but it's ours. We just lease it to Comcast. They're on a 10-year franchise agreement, which is a sweetheart deal they got back in 2016. It goes till 2026. That basically gives them monopolistic ability to just run and use our infrastructure um, to host their horrible internet. Uh, and so we have a real chance because of that to pull off municipal internet in a way that a lot of other cities couldn't do. Um, and we need to take advantage of that because... Right now, we're in a situation where Comcast is basically holding us hostage uh, to the like the programming that they offer, uh, and there's tons of problems with it. One, you know, if we just look at connectivity in our city, uh, one in every two Black and Latino households don't have like broadband internet, don't have high speed internet. So when we're looking at all our kids that need to be online for digital learning. Uh, we're essentially not educating one in every two, you know, you know, black and brown kids, um, denying them their right, uh, their constitutional right to an education. Uh, but on top of that, it's about the economy of our city. Like at this point, you know, the UN has called the Internet, high speed Internet, uh, an actual human right for a reason, because 
you needed to participate in politics, you needed to participate in your community. You know, if you're going to be in these meetings now, which all this stuff is happening online over Zoom, like if you're really participating what's happening in society right now, like you have to have the capacity to get online. If you want to fill out your ability, you know, to fill out the unemployment, you know, uh, paperwork and things like that. A lot of that stuff doesn't even work on mobile. Like you have to get online and you need to have a computer. Like those, that is just the reality of being in the year 2020. And so, you know, there have been cities, for example, Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, that have pulled up municipal internet and it's been great for their local economies. It's been great for small business. Um, and that's something that we could really do and invest in as opposed to having Comcast, which is, you know, uh, just a couple months ago, dropped a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars invoice uh, on the desk of Baltimore City Schools, basically saying, pay up, we're going to unplug your kids. You know, we're being extorted by Comcast uh, because they know we have no choice. You know, it's them or nothing. And so we have this school system and they're doing this all across the country, like not just in Baltimore, but saying like, these school systems have nothing else they can do. Uh, they either get connected to our internet or their kids don't learn. And that's obviously not an option. So they've been just picking up um, these ridiculously enormous deals. Uh, and they get to do that because they have so much control. And it's just not right. Um, it allows them to give us poor service, slow service, and they engage in digital redlining. Uh, there are blocks where they don't even provide service and they have no initiative to try to fill in the gaps when that's taking place. And so, you know, and surprised, where does that happen? It's happening in Cherry Hill. It's happening in the area of downtown Winchester. Um, they just don't feel like it's worth their money to build out the infrastructure so that they can supply internet to these homes. Uh, and it's outrageous. So I think, you know, uh, unfortunately, they have this franchise agreement until 2026. But there's a lot of work we could do during these four years to make sure that we have everything set, doing the pilots, um, trying to really uh, increase the the magnitude of some of the community internet work that's happening right now um, by you know folks like Rowdy Orbit, um, Project Waves, if people want to look them up, they're doing amazing work to connect local communities. Um, but really trying to see how can we scale this up? What can we do so that as soon as this franchise agreement is over, we pull the plug on Comcast. Um, they don't they don't deserve to have that uh, deal anymore. They've not done, uh, I, you know, they've really done the bare minimum as far as supporting Baltimoreans. I, I feel like you're just going to win on an anti-Comcast platform. They are just... <laughs> just a goddamn nightmare to deal with so i think if you just had that as just the anti-comcast candidate just you'll 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 win in a landslide i should put that on the signs <laughs> uh robbie what are, how are we doing on time because uh, i know zoom will cut us off at 45 minutes right i think it's my link so we're probably good but uh... oh okay <laughs> cut that out andrew <laughs> <laughs> no we're on the campaign's dime we're good buddy yeah. <laughs> putting those donor dollars to work yep yeah. thank you guys um so something that you have brought up a little bit and um we are kind of coming towards the end of, of the interview but something that i think really needs to be sort of brought up is the fact that you are running as a green candidate and third-party candidates don't have the best history in not only this state but also this country 
Um, we all, you know, know about Ralph Nader and people somehow blame him for Al Gore. Even Ralph Nader took no electoral. Like it's, it's ridiculous, but I, I just want to know why you as someone who is very capable and you have a very big following and you seem to be really on top of your shit. Like you said, you have a history organizing, so you know what you're doing. Why did you choose to run as a green party candidate? I really respect the the moral and ethic that they have. You know, it's part of the reason why I'm a part of the DSA is similar to why I support the Green Party. Uh, I started getting really inspired by their local work uh, back when uh, Joshua Harris was running for mayor. So that got me really excited and really into thinking about Greens and being local. Uh, but, you know, they have a platform that really centers racial justice, economic justice, and that's the kind of work I want to do. Uh, same around how they do campaign financing, right? It's about not taking money from corporations or developers. It's about making sure that we're funded um, by people and people's organizations. And so, you know, that's that's the kind of party that I wanted to run on. And uh, and honestly, I also, you know, there was a there was a really decent field running in the primary in this seat for District 12. And uh, you know, I, I knocked doors. Gary Crom, uh, I, you know, um, been working together. Uh, and Gary's now, you know, really helping out with the with the campaign. Um, Dave Heilecker, uh, also a member of the DSA, was DSA endorsed in the primary. He's been helping out with the campaign as well. Um, I was really excited about the work that he had been doing and, you know, talking about issues around the water bills and the need for more, uh, you know, investment into youth works. Um, there was the candidate Phil Westry. So there were decent candidates in the race. And, and so I also felt that, you know, I want what I wanted to see was someone who was going to do real work at City Hall. Um, that's what was most important to me. And so if, you know, one of these more progressive candidates could take it away, I was happy to let them take it away. But when, you know, primary happened and 60% of people voted against the incumbent. Um, but unfortunately the incumbent, you know, coasted just barely through <laughs> with uh, 40% of the vote by 248 votes. Um, I knew that, you know, we, we had to do our part and that we couldn't wait four more years. So um, decided to, you know, uh, run with the greens and I, I'm really, I'm really happy about that decision. And, and you know what, all, all it takes is one. All it takes is one to get in there, and then people are like, "Whoa, this person's," you know, and then it cr creates um, a rippling effect. So, you know, if you could be the one that gets in there, maybe we can really change the game. And yeah, and it's exciting. Like, it means that not being tethered necessarily to like all these like institutions of the Democratic Party that you know um, put up a lot of boundaries and things. Like, you can. Uh, we've been hearing stuff around. Oh, like if people support this green race, like they're going to lose their access to the, the Democratic voter file and stuff like that, or mm -hmm. you know they're going to get kicked out of certain Democratic things or whatever. You know, and I'm just you know that's uh, that's silly to me, and I'm excited to be able to be beholden to who I'm supposed to be beholden to, which is the people who will vote me into office and everybody that I represent, which is everyone that lives in uh, District 12. That is who I'll be accountable to, um, and so I, I feel really excited to have the chance to do that um, as a third party candidate with the Greens. You're talking to one, but I unfortunately do not live in District 12, so. Still chance to move. <laughs> yeah, no, you got time, buddy. You got. We can switch yeah. your vote. You can just move into my studio apartment. We can fit yeah. three people in here. You're fine. District 12 is great. You would love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
we are, um, I mean, it's really exciting to have someone like you on the campaign. It's really exciting to meet you. I mean, this has been awesome. Really love your logo, too. Just want to say that off the bat. Whoever designed that thing is just, it's awesome. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're your yeah, Shout out to Dave, um, also uh, Han uh, Castaniel, a lot of amazing, amazing, amazing artists that have been uh, helping us out uh, with um, all of our art and things. Uh, Marina, a lot of, lot of amazing, amazing artists, uh, Margaret, a, a lot of really cool people that are just, uh, you know, incredible creative people here in the city and have really, you know, supported us. So, um, yeah. And it definitely shows your website's super professional looking, you know, mm-hmm. all the all the normal boring stuff to say about that. But yeah, it's it's incredible. It's cool. Well, speaking of that uh, website, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if folks want to get involved with the campaign, uh, that is the main place you should go, which is francaforthepeople.com. So if you want to donate to the campaign and donations are really important, like uh, know that we're fighting an uphill battle. So we have been doing really, really great with fundraising. Uh, we have an incredible amount of donors. We are slowly getting our almost to uh, 1,300 individual donors. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really amazing, which is more donors than any city council person has. It's more donors than any mayoral candidate has. Um, it's really, really exciting. Uh, but know that we're run- fighting an uphill battle, right? Like we are not going to get anybody, like not that many people that are just going to vote, you know, be like, oh, we're the Greens on this ballot, right? We really need to talk to people about taking a chance with a different party, um, taking a chance with a name that they may not recognize. Uh, so, you know, that takes being able to make sure we can get those yard signs, being able to send mail to people. And we also pay, you know, a family sustaining wage to the folks that work on the campaign. Um, that was something that was really important to me. Uh, Do you have room for anyone else t- to work on the campaign? <laughs> uh, you, you should t- send me an email. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we really need that financial support. So if people can, please donate. And what we really need right now is folks' time. Um, there is a ticking time bomb that we will never get back, which is all the time between this moment until November 3rd. And actually, right, like some of you guys have already even gotten your ballots. So uh, the time is very limited for how much we get to actually interact to to interact with talk talk with somebody um let them know that we're here and get them excited about the policies we're fighting for so uh if you can come out check out the website check out the volunteer link there's a calendar there you can sign up to canvas uh you can sign up to uh drop literature uh you can if you don't live nearby you can send texts you can do phone calls uh but that's how we're going to win the only way we're going to win is if we can get as many hands on deck as possible between fundraising between doing the legwork um that's how we do it and uh honestly you know like in my head i have this number and it's 10 i feel like we're going to win like we're if we win this campaign and i feel like we're going to win this campaign it could be by 10 votes it could be by five votes like we have to be out there um uh just like pounding the pavement as hard as we can um so if you can join us please do so before we go i did want to sort of tell you a little funny story so um when i found out about you i shared your your campaign stuff on uh, the bolts of x uh social media but also my own and a friend of mine responded to me posting your campaign stuff 
and said that they were voting for you and that they found out about you because you guys live in the same apartment building. And then I responded with being like, oh, that's awesome. Like, she seems really cool. She knows what's up. And then I just want to read you. Her. Make sure you don't I'm, dox her. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to dox her. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to read to you something that a friend of mine posted on my Facebook um, when I posted your, your campaign stuff and was sort of trying to, you know, spread the word. So... They said, yo, this girl, Franca, lives in my building and left her leaflet in everyone's door. She's getting my vote. And then, you know, I said, I'm going to be interviewing her. I'm really excited. To which they responded, that's awesome. She left a little note under all our doors in like March or April, basically saying anyone in this building that needs help or wants to volunteer, hit me up. You need to talk. We got you. You need groceries. We got you. You want to volunteer and help get groceries. Come talk. We'll connect you. And then showed a little picture of your leaflet that says, hi, I'm your neighbor. And... I feel like with the effort that you guys are putting in and how personable your campaign seems like you don't see that from anyone else in this. I mean, especially not, you know, the incumbent, like who the fuck knows who Stokes is, you know what I mean? But you're out here, you're talking to your neighbors, you're talking to everybody. You're, it's a very personable campaign. It's something that we as leftists need in our candidates. It's something that someone who, you know, like you, who is like in touch with the youth, like they need to see like this is what a political candidate actually does. So it's very exciting to have you like in our district, in our city, in our state, like sh- being a good role model for like future politicians in general, but also like what the left with the DSA, with the Green Party, what they need in order to, you know, to change anything. Because this is if you believe in elector and electoralism, like this is what you need to do and how a campaign should run. So it's very exciting to like watch you, you know, from our vantage point, like really run this awesome campaign. That is so sweet, by the way. I can't believe someone kept that <laughs> like little note. I just mm-hmm. like drop underneath everybody's door. Uh, but like, and I want to say that like that is work that came from a ton of neighbors. Um, and that's to me what's really exciting. Like that's political work. Like we have so many resources as a community that like we we will do everything we can to like get every ounce of resource and support like out of the city hall that we can, but we're a resource, right? Like when, and, and I think the pandemic really showed how much we can do, you know, like when this happened, uh, we pulled together a group of neighbors, uh, getting groceries for people, buying medicines for people, um, picking up little stuff here and there. Uh, we have a neighbor, she has um, a respiratory condition. She actually, she's like on a, an oxygen tank. And we have a team of like four neighbors that take turns walking her dog so that she doesn't have to go outside because she is really, really vulnerable. Um, And this is something that people just wanted to do, you know, and like sharing information, uh, what's going on with, uh, you know, there was an opportunity to like people were like washing clothes for first responders and stuff like that. So like advertising that that was going on and, uh, it's amazing. Like we, we have so much capacity to do the work. Um, so, you know, shout out to all the anarchists out there that have been doing it forever. And, you know, the legacy of the black Panthers that, you know, um, uh, have been doing that kind of community organizing for a long time and really set into motion how that community work can, can be done. But that's, that's, what I think people should be doing in office is like, how are we using and leveraging like our resources, our community, like all the well-intentioned people that are ready to do like serious work for one another and support one another. Um, we can get a lot done. And so, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, 
but thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's super sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that really sort of, you know, it, it convinced me that we were doing the right thing and not only like endorse, you know, like you're gassing you up, but also just like having you on the show. Cause you really are someone who seems to, you know, to get what's going on. Like you, you seem to be on the ball with it and it's, and it's awesome. But I think that we're pretty much at time. So do you want anything like last word type of thing you want to give to everybody before we kind of shut it down? Yeah. So uh, my favorite quote uh, is a union quote and it's when we fight, we win. Uh, And when you don't, you don't like when we fight, we win. And no matter what happens, you have opened the door to be able to win the things that we need, the things that we deserve uh, to be able to have the dignified thriving life that we should all get to have. Uh, but if you don't fight for it, it's not happening. So when we fight, we win. Um, and whether that's, you know, people getting involved in this fight to win this campaign or whether it's around jumping onto the work of, you know, uh, what organizing black is doing and, uh, ceasefire and good kids, Mad city and so many other groups around, um, public safety work and the transformation of what public safety can look like. Uh, whether it's getting involved and throwing down to make sure we're getting, you know, the funded schools that we need, but get in there, get in the fight. Because if we stand by the sidelines, uh, we're going to have to keep waiting for things to change at a pace that uh, will be too late for some people. Um, it's unacceptable. So uh, real quick, uh, Robert, unfortunately, you know, cursed a bunch during this episode. Uh, do you want that beeped out? That's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just feel like you're tattling to the teach, like literally tattling to the teacher on me for cussing. I am. You're right. 100%. You know, <laughs> you know it's so funny because, um, so there are a lot of kids, right, that are on this campaign and some of them aren't kids anymore. Like some of them are adults, but had me as kids. And so, uh, they still call me Miss Mueller. Like they can't, like, they feel so weird about calling me Franca, <laughs> even though all the campaign lit says Franca. So they knock on doors and be like, you should vote for Miss Mueller boss. <laughs> um, and they get so funny about cursing because, like, they're around each other. But then they see me, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, you should put that on your next sign, you know, the next time you, you know, next time you run. That you're uh, the cool you teacher know. that allows cursing. Well, I don't allow cursing. No, I'm super intense about it. In class. That's why we police each other so hard. <laughs> That's awesome. I um, do like a whole dramatic thing about it. I'm like, no, my delicate ears. I've never heard these awful words. That's so good. <laughs> what will my grandmother say when I tell her when I call her after school? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but look, thank you so much for giving us again, more time than, than we, uh, originally agreed upon. So thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with us and I guarantee you, our listeners are going to vote for, I mean, I'm voting for you, but I guarantee you're going to get some, some stuff out of this. And after we, you know, end this little recording thing, we can talk for a second about what I can do to, or what we can do to help the campaign in general, but just thank you so much, you know, all the luck in the world. I'm very confident that you're going to get it. I'm super excited for you to represent our district. Like you, you're going to do a lot of great things. So just good luck. And thank you for running and actually like representing the people, you know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate you both. Um, It's, it was a lot of fun. This is a great, I really enjoyed this interview. (laughs) Me too. Uh, Thank you so much. 